Father, we pray that you bless our time. Speak to hearts in a powerful way. We're talking about your bride, the church. Your bride, Lord, the church. That's us, Father. We make up the church. We're part of your bride. Uh, You come back for us. As the bride, we're supposed to be preparing ourselves, getting ourselves ready for the bridegroom, Lord. And so we pray that you'd uh, show us how to do that, to give us wisdom. Open up our eyes and our ears to what's going on around us. And I pray that we would just take great care as far as being good stewards with what you've given us, Lord. It's a great honor to be a part of a church. It's something that is uh, miraculous at times, a struggle at times, confusing at times. but you've called us to be a part of it, Lord. So we just pray for greater understanding what it means to be your church, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So probably a good question to consider and think about as we dive in here. At what point does a group of people that meet together become a church? So you get a group of people together, Let's assume that they want to do nice things. Because you've got to have a group of people together and they don't want to do nice things. Let's assume you get a group of people together and they want to do nice things, thoughtful things, honest things, um, high character type things. Not all of those groups become a church. Right? So... There's also like some churches that would call themselves a church, but like other people would say, I don't know if that is a church. But there's some, there's some dynamic, there's something that happens when there's a group of people that get together, and at some point they're called the church. And some people can just self-proclaim, hey, we're a church. I think the ideal situation is that God says, hey, that's part of my bride. That's part of my church. When I was talking about church, they're living that out. They're carrying that out. So the self-proclaim thing is, that can be dangerous and confusing, right? Because if you just get enough people around a certain group or idea, we could just say, we could just say whatever we want, Really? Like, we could get a whole bunch of people together that were, like, fairly decent athletes like myself. And we could get a ton of people. Get a nice big bankroll. Get some really charismatic type people. Know some influential people. And if we got enough of a movement, we could say, you know what? We were the true athletes. We were the real deals. We were the ones that really had to sacrifice. We put in all that hard work, time, and energy. And we constantly had things just shut us down along the way. And every bitter old athlete will have their story to contribute. But if you did that for a long enough time, with enough money, with the right people involved, 
it would gain some momentum. And the scary thing would be is that some people would start to believe it. I really, yeah, I am like a professional athlete person. Or it's like, I don't know if you've ever done it. Good chance you have. Where the truth has been presented to you about whatever. And at some point in your brain, or in my brain, I decided and I said, you know what? I am not going to tell the truth on this one. Um, I'm, not, I'm not doing it. And so what we do, common times, is we say a lie, a mistruth, maybe a complete total fabrication, or maybe that's something that loosely resembles the truth. And we will hold on to that and hold on to that and hold on to that. And if you say it enough times, you actually start to believe it. Anybody ever do that? Where you hold on to whatever you made up, whatever it is, and we're not proud of it, but we know that we've done it. Yeah, it did happen that way. Or yeah, I did do that thing. Or that really is the case. If we say it enough, like we start to believe it. I think it's really healthy to think about church and the idea of church behind it. That was one concept that we had to think about and pray about a lot before we even planted this church. What exactly are we doing? What is a church? Like, what? It's supposed to look certain ways and have certain things, and certain things should be important within it. But what exactly makes it? And then if it is a church, you know, how should that function? What should be the priorities? So I have the idea of a church in our minds is something I think that's important. It's always healthy to go back to be like, you know, I'm part of this church, but, you know, what exactly does a church do? What's it for? Um, so that's one thought. And let me bring in one more thought, and I'll try and tie them together. All right? So that's one thought. Here's another totally separate thought, but I promise I'll tie them together the best that I can, okay? A totally separate thought is when God creates things, he creates them with a purpose and with a destiny and with an intention. He never creates anything, and he's like, you know what, let's just see what shakes out of this. That's a lot of the way I approach a lot of things in life. I'm just like, well, I'll kind of just go along and we'll just kind of see what happens even fairly exciting to me. Not so much to Julie. She wants it all planned out, every detail, one by one. We're just different. So, when he creates something, he already knows, and it's already been decided. And he's like, and this is what it will be. This is what it will do. And then he does it in such a way so that one that created value and destiny is in his mind he is also at the same time completely considered fulfillment and satisfaction within the purpose and the destiny. Like he's, t- he's taken both at the same time. I will create them for this purpose. They will do this. They will have this. And I'm talking about humans in this case. They will do this. They will have this. They will walk in this way. I've them to do this. And at the same time, he's already figured out as they do that, they would just come into an amazing 
satisfaction and a total thankfulness for how good life is. Not meaning that every day is great, but something deeper, something more. So we're trying to tie those two two ideas together with church and this idea of purpose and destiny and value. Enter in the arena of sexuality. That's going to play more of the role of purpose, destiny, a certain idea in mind. I just find it encouraging a lot of times. I'm like, God made sex. Like, Satan didn't make it. It was God's idea. This is good. I want them to enjoy this. It wasn't like the enemy's idea. It's encouraging. Then on the other end, you have church. And you can run into problems with those two things. Table that. Okay, tell you a quick story. So, we're good so far, right? Okay, feels like you are. Okay, cool. You can't go by feelings, though. You know, you just like... So, maybe... I don't know. Oh, early 2000s? So that's like, what, 16 years ago? Totally. I was just thinking the other day, it's going to be my my 20-year high school reunion coming up. Uh, Why? Why? I know. I I wasn't going to say that. I was going to say some of the people have some other ones. but So so about 20 years ago, a little bit before that, but yeah, about 20 years ago, I really decided, said, hey, listen, um, Lord, you've just made yourself clear to me in my life, and I've always had a pretty decent sense of who you are and what you're about, just a decent sense of it. haven't always carried it through. Um, in fact, probably the few times that I did, it was even really grudgingly and not all the way. But around that time, 20 years ago, I was like, I know what the deal is. I just have to be all in with it, in every sense of the word. So, and there comes a point in the Christian's life where there's kind of like, there's these significant moments that the Spirit brings us to, where they're almost like lines in the sand, where he gives us an awareness of what kind of that's going to mean, what that's going to look like, and then we're presented with an opportunity. And he's like, well, this is kind of what that means if, if you decide to stay on the side. And that seems to happen multiple times in life. So for me, one of the times was about 20 years ago, and I was like, you know what? Yes, I'm in. Tired of fighting back. It's just frustrating. It's just it's heavy. It's disappointing. Uh, it's just, you know, it's phyrexia. You know, it's, just, it's annoying trying to fight with God. It's just, it's just it's annoying. It's tired. It's very unsatisfying. And you think you got something for a little bit, and then it like comes back down, and you're like, ah, you know, I don't, and then it, ugh. So, what I ended up doing was just kind of plugging myself into a lot of different areas where I thought that God was, you know, calling me to do. And it happened to be with different churches and, like, uh, uh, different roles within those churches, being a Sunday school teacher, you know, being a, a small groups leader, um, being a youth group uh, leader, taking part in a college-age ministry, just a lot of stuff. Uh, I just knew that if I wasn't really involving myself at that particular point in my life, 
I could definitely fill it up with something else, and there's a good chance it would get me in trouble. You just have to know that about yourself sometimes. So I ended up partnering up with a church that's not too far from here. They asked me to come along and be a, a youth group leader there. So I was like, yeah, you know, cool. And I, and I had a friend there. And um, the main youth pastor there, I had met maybe a few months ago. And I saw him interact with the kids, heard him speak. And, uh, and this guy, he, he was pretty dynamic. Like he was, some people just have it. Some people are kind of getting there. Some people just know. Just know. That's okay, you know, that's fine. They just all got different stuff. But this particular guy is like, man, the way he would just interact and the way he would talk, you could tell that the kids were listening, they would pay attention, they were just engaged. Um, you know, in Christianity, it would be like a certain anointing on his life. That would be the word that would be used, just a certain anointing. And so he said, hey, would you mind coming on board and helping out, you know, working with our youth group? I was like, it was kind of far from the house, but I was like, yeah, you know, that sounds like a cool opportunity. I'll definitely, I'll be up for that. So, <clears throat> if you fast forward some time, it's a church, you know, that's about 100 and, it's not, not huge, but bigger than ours, so maybe like 150 people, something like that. I get a phone call from a friend of mine who's also a leader with me in the group. He says, hey, you know, we're not having youth group tonight. I said, I said, it was a Wednesday night. I was like, really? He's like, what's going on? He goes, he goes, man, I'll, he goes, you got to come to the church. I said, I said, all right. I said, what's going on? He's like, just come. I said, all right. So I head on to the church, and the parking lot's totally full on a Wednesday night, you know, totally full. And you see all the people kind of filing in, and I'm like, man, what's going on? He's like, so-and-so, he's like, he's in trouble. I'm like, he's in trouble? He's like, yeah, man, it, it's real bad. I was like, oh, no. So come to find out, make a long story short, because we actually have to talk about the Bible today too. But to make a long story short, he had been inappropriately engaged with other females in the youth group, particularly really one. The church caught wind of it early on. Leadership of the church caught wind of it. So when you first hear about it, and it wasn't totally outlandish and, and really bad in the beginning when they heard of it and then relayed it back to the individual. It wasn't really bad. It was something that was certainly inappropriate, you know, it shouldn't be happening, but it wasn't. The church leadership decided to handle that how they decided to handle that. A few months go by, another instance comes up. They hear about it, you know. A few months goes by, another thing comes up. You know, have to be a genius to figure out where this is going. So, he, um, the church gets together that Wednesday night, and they are just understandably so super upset, really fired up, you know. And um, they're basically deciding there, you know, legally what they're going to do with this individual because they already had him arrested, um, and they're basically trying to figure out how the church will respond, um, what people should say what, kind of give a handle to everybody involved in the process. I mean, if something like that happens, the whole church family is now involved. 
So what happens is you have this arena of sexuality, you have this issue, which a lot of people don't know a lot about, which is called church discipline. And that's not the most fun thing to talk about. But it's certainly a reality that we can't miss or sort of uh, turn a blind eye and deaf ear to. Stuff's just too important. It's just too important. And unfortunately for that individual, um, you know, most of the stuff that came out, unfortunately, was, uh, was true. He ended up doing 10 years, and uh, he, he got out, you know, not that long ago. And, um, but, and there's just too many stories like that, you know what I mean? And that's just, it's not good, obviously. But I, I only bring that up because um, church discipline is, is, a, is a real and significant thing, and the purpose of it is to protect the church, protect the bride. So this idea to understand what a church is, who the people are, how it's supposed to function is now very important. Because, I mean, discipline is nobody's favorite word. And it's not a fun process. And I've been part of several of them which were not good. And they are pretty ugly. Um, and Paul, bless you, and Paul is in the same exact situation in the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 where there's just not good stuff going on. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This, I'm all for tolerant. I'm all for welcoming people in. I'm all for loving people. But there is a line to where the church then needs to get involved and say, this, this, no. It can't happen like this. Or, or what's going on? Why? How come? And so that creates a dialogue and a conversation. Okay, so... When does the church actually get involved with affairs in people's lives? That is a very dangerous road to go down, but a very necessary road because lives and hearts are at stake. And the discomfort of the road is not worth the damage that it might do. So how far should a church go? You know, should we get some badges and have some church police, you know, and just have them sniff out people's lives during the week? And is that post appropriate? Do they do this appropriate? Is that right? Da, da, da. And you could just take this thing crazy far, and it's not good. But on the other end, I think we know that we got to do something if something is, is, like, not right. This idea of excommunication. Is there a place? Is there not a place? So this chapter brings up all this stuff, which is not stuff we would always think about. But I think that when we think about the bride, the church, and protecting what Jesus died for, probably makes a little bit of sense. So let's check it out. Let's check it out. We'll try and hopefully tie some things together. And You're really excited, right? The good news is going to keep on coming. So here we go. Here, here's what's going on there. Um, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, a kind that does not even occur among pagans. Pause. So, sexual immorality. So you look at that word. You look at it in the Greek. The word is pornea. And obviously that's coming from the word 
porn, right? <laughs> porn, fornication, right? Using sexuality in a way that God did not have purposed and planned out for. We're going back to that idea, right, of purpose and destiny. He created sexuality. He created it to be enjoyed. He created it for our enjoyment. He created it for procreation. He created it as when it's enjoyed the right way, it's actually just like a form of worship because it's being done in the right way. So where it's more than just the physical act of what happens. So they were going beyond the line here. A man has his father's wife. So, uh, yeah, that's not good, right? Yeah, it's not good. So what happens there is that it might be a wife from another marriage or it might be the kid's mom. Don't know. Nobody makes that clear. Idea being, it's not a good situation either way. If it's incestuous by blood or not. We're in a bad place right now. And to talk about this issue in this church, um, it wasn't all that crazy. I think we talked about before, the Corinthian church was kind of known for being pretty loose and being very sexual. In fact, the way they would even worship other gods is like with sexuality and having orgies and like doing the the deed in the business. That's just what they would do. and wasn't all that uncommon. And somehow it infiltrated its way into the church here. Verse 2, and you are proud. So they got some kind of weird theology going. I'm sleeping with my mom or my stepmom. Isn't that amazing? That's a crazy theology, right? They're proud about it. So you might ask why. Good question. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? So we see a first hint here of church discipline, right? Even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit. And I have already passed judgment on the one who did this, just as if I were present. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, I am with you in spirit, and the power of the Lord Jesus is present. And this man over to Satan, so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. So, whoa, 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 right? What's going on here? They're proud about it. Here's why, okay? So you might want to jot this down. I I didn't put blanks in there, and I should have, but... They had a misunderstanding as far as what grace meant. They had a misunderstanding of what grace meant. They had a misunderstanding of what grace meant. And to a large degree, our church, I mean church with the big C, kind of falls in that category. Where grace is like, oh, so you mean, and I have friends that you know, even say this, so you mean 
I can do such and such and do whatever, and then God just forgives me, and then, like, we're good. In a sense, right, reducing grace down to a license, because you're always loved, so then now you have this license, because you believe, to then act whatever way. So the way they saw it was distorted. They saw it as God's grace is so amazing, it can cover the most crazy thing like sleeping with my mom. Talk about like not getting it. (laughs) No, 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 no. Like you're totally, no, no. I wrote down, grace does not overlook sin. It empowers righteous living. Grace does not overlook sin. It empowers righteous living. So this idea of grace is pretty important. Because that's really like what they got hung up on. So this idea of grace... It's not a license, right, for us to go around and do whatever because we know God loves us. It becomes the empowering agent to live out the Christian life. How many people know that the life that God calls humanity to is completely impossible in our own strength? How many people know that? Just, yeah. It's completely impossible in our own strength. So when it gets frustrating, and it becomes really heavy, that's an immediate telltale sign that somewhere grace is being lost. Because the grace part of that relationship with God doesn't hyper-focus on the perfection that needs to be done. You're with me. It doesn't hyper-focus on the perfection that needs to be done, that we're called to. The grace says, your righteousness has already been taken care of through Christ. And yes, that's not good and it needs to change. Let me come in and change it with you. It's totally different. Because when I see that I fall short and I just handle just basic everyday things, the way I'll interact with Julie or a family member or a coworker or one of my kids, like God just make it really evident that is pastor who? That is no. That is a no no. <clears throat> That's Holy Spirit saying, I'm doing work in your life of transformation. That right there can't happen. That's in the way. That's a problem. Next step. Grace comes in. Grace says, don't be shameful about that. There's a lot of stuff we got to work out. Trust in me and rely on me. You'll see the situation again. Try to do it differently. Grace is totally different. It empowers the Christian life. It takes away, completely takes away, 
the hyper-focus on the sin that we know that we can do, that maybe we just did, and it puts it into a promise of what we've been called to. That's good stuff. Super hard. And an awesome question. Because <clears throat> most of us know everything about, you know, when you do something wrong and you make a mistake and just... <clears throat> most of us, well, that was bad. I shouldn't have done it. Well, yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, we shouldn't have. And, and that, that did come out wrong totally. And it's, it's totally part of our nature, especially depending upon the type of person that we are. For a perfectionist in any way, shape, or form... Or if we're already really down and negative about ourselves, insecure about ourselves, not feeling right, it'll just come in as like, yeah, see, like you can't, and you aren't right, and that's not good. <clears throat> so, you know, one thought towards that, that flood, which usually does come in a flood instantaneously, of just feeling really shameful and condemned about what we do or whatever happened, right away, I have found personally, verbalizing out loud what God said is already true about me that contains nothing of shame. And there's particular verses that I like to, depending on the situation. That's why it's so important to have the word inside of us. Because what do you do when a lie comes in? Somebody lies to my kids. They come home. Somebody told them something from somewhere, some kind of lie about them, about their future, about life, whatever. I don't just say, well, you know, think about that for a while. You know, experience it on your own, and let's just see. Like, Man, if I know this thing is significant, and it's a lie, I'm coming at it with truth. You know, and probably not in a hostile, crazy way. There might be a time for that, but those times are few, to be honest with you. But we just come at it with truth. So when the enemy comes at us with stuff, and he highlights the part of our nature that he knows about us, shame and fear, right, and condemnation, he knows these things. When they highlight and they surface, he's really good at capitalizing on that. And we're called to then stand in truth and faith. We have to actually verbalize the truth. And that feeling might even come back like ten minutes later or five minutes later. And we just come back, Lord, I know, like, God, you're making me brand new. I don't even understand how that even came out. And it's not right and not good. But I know you're doing a work in me. And it's confusing, Lord. Help me to trust you in it. And depending upon what the issue is, so number one, holding on to a verse, but number two, depending upon what the issue is, we have to involve other people to help us. As long as that thing stays quiet and in the dark, it'll just always be this little battle that we have with this thing. And and, and that's not the game plan to success there. We need truth, 
and we need a squad. Like, we do. And it's much easier to be like, oh, I'm dealing with it with God. You know, and maybe some things, you know, that's okay. But for a lot of things, we need to join with one another. So faithful, Christian, mature friends... That's what I don't understand a lot of times. It doesn't happen in our church, praise God, but, you know, a lot of churches, like, you just know some people that come to church and they just interact, and, like, you know, their best friends are nowhere near church or Christianity at all. And it's like, man, that's just setting themselves up. Like, oh, let me pay for that later. Not good. So the main issue that I guess that I wanted to highlight was that they had a completely distorted view of grace. In our day and age, I believe we definitely do as well, but it's a little bit different. It's a little bit different. Grace empowers the Christian life. It encourages us that we don't have to perform perfectly all the time. But we are called to respond faithfully and repentantly. That's what we got to do. That's our role. Life's, Christianity is a lifestyle just coming to terms and being in agreement with what God is saying about our lives and what he says about us. That's every day. Is it making sense? Time we got. All right. Um, so we see here, Paul gets into this, I passed judgment already. He's a church leader in this case. He planted the church. Their church leadership is not really quite formed up yet and solidified. Very similar to our church. Like, our church leadership, it, it's, it's, like, developing. <laughs> it's developing. Like, we have a small board of people that handles finances and makes a budget. But as far as serious, like, intense spiritual issues... Our MO is to default to other wiser pastors and stuff that we know that we have set up to say, hey, our church is not really quite in a maturity enough position yet to handle this type of issue. We need some help. You know, so God is bringing us there, but we're not quite developed there yet. And I certainly don't want to be <laughs> the brunt and the bearer of a lot of things. I don't want to shade my role either. That wouldn't be good either, but I think you hear what I'm saying. All right. Verse 6, take a look. Uh, Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough, a.k.a., listen, just a little bit in there is super dangerous. Yeast, yeast is always used in the Bible as something that's not good. Like, and if you've ever used it in bread or recipes... You throw a little bit in there, it causes it to rise. You know, it affects everything. You throw a lot in there, well, you got, you got yourselves an interesting day. <laughs> Verse 7, get rid of the old yeast, that you may be a new batch without yeast, as you really are. He's like, just get rid of that stuff. There's no place. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Sacrifice. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old yeast, but the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. So, pause there for a sec. 
So he's saying, hey, this is where church discipline is difficult. Because, so when do you get involved? When does the church then have a right to come in and It's really unique to the situation that people involved. There are steps that the church has to go through. They're supposed to confront an individual first and just not in a, you know, aggressive and, you know, finger pointing, got my church security next to me kind of way. Unless the situation calls, you know, but probably pretty rare. But say, hey, listen, you know, I just, can we get together and People are saying things. I don't even know what to think. You know, do you, what do you think? Sit down. You know, guys talk. See what happens. Nothing gets heard. Like, man, I don't really feel that great about this conversation. I feel like we're in two different places. Do you mind, you know, if we get, you know, pastor so-and-so, brother whoever? Sit down and talk. And if it's still, like, not a good situation. In fact, not a good situation would mean this. Should clarify that. Not a good situation would mean that individual or individuals are flat out unrepentant. They don't even feel sorry about it. That that's the issue. The issue is like the repentful part. The issue many times in a Christian life is not if did you do it or did you not do it. Many times the issue is where was your heart when the issue developed. That's more of a telltale sign of what God's doing in our lives. So if they're flat out unrepentant, then what they're supposed to do is then come to the church, like the meeting I told you about. We get just that Wednesday night super sad, super divisive, really bad situation. And I say, listen, so-and-so has done such and such. Don't fellowship with them. Don't go near them. They're in a bad place. Just, no. No, 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 no. And Paul encourages a church to be aware of what's happening inside its family. Not to police it, but to at least be aware and be prepared for the rare times that it may come up. And even in our young church, it's happened a couple of times already. That was not fun. And, you know, it won't be the last time. Things are just going to happen. People are just going to do stuff. But, because here's why. Here's the important thing. So, so like, why? Uh, Because we're going to go into... Well, let's just read this, and I'll go into that. Verse 9. I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. It's like, whoa, 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 what are you talking about? Not at all meaning the people of the world who are immoral, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave this world. So he's like, you know, he's like, stay away from that stuff. But he's like, you're in the world. You know, you can't. You're in this world. It's everywhere. But now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater, excuse me, or a slanderer, a drunkard, or a swindler, 
With such a man, do not even eat. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge? There is a place for judgment within the church. That's like the unbeliever's favorite verse. Judge not. You know, nobody's going to judge me. It happens in the church. Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside, expel the wicked man from among you. So why this idea of, hey, tolerate, be in love, and work with those who are idolaters and drunkards? And, and let me also just say before that, the language clearly implies, in the Greek, clearly implies that this is ongoing behavior that someone's continuously doing and totally unrepentant about. Like that, that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about people that are struggling their way through, trying to figure out, trying to get freedom. That's not what we're referring to here. Not at all. So why approach the world this way and then the church this way? Here's why I think, at least part of the reason. The church, the bride, the church, the bride, you guys, Myself included. We are supposed to be, within our church, within this bride, we're supposed to have and embrace pathways and just ways in general to freedom. This should be a place. The church should be a place where darkness can't shine, light always shines, and freedom is the currency that we operate in. That's the call of the church. And yes, people will be at different stages working their way through things. Number one, don't ever quit. But number two, the overall senses of the church is that it's a place of freedom. It's a place that has they found the truth and the wisdom and what God has said, how to live a life, how to go about life. And they said, yeah, it's totally worth it this way. And it's amazing God, what God will do if we do it this way. If in the church there is like this toleration, especially with this idea of sexual sin, this is just a big deal. Sexual sin is, is definitely unique in some important ways, which Paul will talk more about. But in sexual sin, in the church, there should just be this idea. Like I said, people are working their ways through. But in the church, there's this idea and the consensus would be like, sex, let me tell you about sex. Let me tell you about sexuality. Let me tell you about men and women. Let me tell you about why he created them. Let me tell you about the pitfalls. Let me tell you about where freedom is found in sexuality, how to handle it right. How when it gets a weird place and distorted in my life, here's some things that happen. Those types of conversations and that kind of mindset should be apparent within the church. So when there's like toleration of deviating from that within the church... And people are just like, oh, you know, they're just... Their relationship with God is different. 
Or they've just always done it that way, so it'll always be that way. Yeah, but they don't feel bad about it. Yeah, well, you know. Paul's saying, do not go with that. Don't. I remember one time, you know, some people weren't doing some things right. <clears throat> and I'm pretty hesitant. You, just give, you have to give God time to work in people's lives and in their hearts. You have to. Don't be quick to pull the trigger on people. Be quick to love them. Be quick to pray for them. Invest yourself solid in prayer before you approach any situation like this. Because this is not just for church-like leadership. This will be, God will put people you know, in and around your lives. They don't have you in places. He might have you talk to my kids. I don't even know. But please be guilty of praying it up hard first and being invested there first. So for these people, you know, it was just, it was a long time of not good. And so I was like, you know, <laughs> you know what the deal is here? Like, <laughs> and so uh, pretty fairly, you know, unrepentant. You know, it's not a good situation. Very much like what we're talking about. In fact, it got to the point you know, one of the parties was actually doing better, kind of coming along and being like, yeah, you know, I've been battling, you know, it's just it's hard. You know, and God works with that. I will certainly work with that. It's the other side that's like, listen, this is the way it is. We've been done doing it. Like, as soon as God gets involved, well, he's going to change this now? Does God understand what could happen because of that? <laughs> I'm willing to have the conversation that to be stuck there for a long period of time is not good. Not good. So then one of the individuals is, if sexuality occurred, like intercourse and all kinds of things occurred within there, one of the parties take that as, hey, we're doing better. We're doing better. We're getting along now. Like, so-and-so will touch me. You know, like, we'll, we'll do stuff. I'm like, It's distorted. It's distorted. I'm a fan of them. I want to see them do well, but I want to see them do well on his terms. There's nothing but safety and provision that's lying on his side. And there's nothing but just distortion and frustration that's lying on the other end. It's really difficult. And that's not to say that there aren't couples that don't give their lives to the Lord. They completely treat sex in such a way to where it doesn't honor God at all in the relationship. They get married. They have kids. It's, I've seen families. They function fairly well. They haven't gotten divorced. They love each other. So the Christian may ask, well, what's the payoff here? <laughs> As soon as we ask that question, I think we know there's something wrong. Not about the payoff, it's about the obedience part. But number two, hear this, hear this. 
So it is about obedience, number one. But number two, hear this. Whoever that family would be, and they're out there, lots of them. And we'll come in contact with them. They just love each other. They just, for whatever reason, you know, they just have a unique kind of grace, I think, in their home. And they just function really well, and God isn't even really a part of anything. They might even look better than most Christian families. But I, I can tell you this. I can tell you that whatever purpose and destiny God had for that marriage, for that family, that would just be immeasurably more than they can ask or imagine, it will never get touched. They might be good in their little you know, family environment, which is saying something, but to the ultimate purpose and plan and design that God would have, they won't know much about it. It's very sad. Very sad, right? <clears throat> All right, it's one o'clock. So, all right, we're going to pick up some more with this next week. Sound good? So here's the deal. So for us, right, for us, um, grace is a big deal. Huge deal. We really want to understand, you know, what that's all about, because that empowers how we live out the Christian faith, the Christian life. And... However we handle our sexuality is at the heart of this conversation. <clears throat> That's <laughs> Here we are, right? Adulthood. <laughs> it's a big deal. It's a big deal. I always say, always say, okay, like two years I've been saying, always say, like two years I've been saying, if my sexuality and my wallet are submitted to God, I can't deceive myself in thinking he doesn't have me. I know that he does. If I'm surrendering those two arenas, he's got me pretty good. And when he has an individual in those two arenas, financially and sexually, it's amazing. It's amazing what God does. There's not like a tongue left. The emotional life is certainly another big one, but so much of emotions are tied into sexuality and finances. It's, it's pretty interesting. Okie dokie. <laughs> All right. So, uh, so let's pray, right? And let's... So God brought certain things to your mind and to your heart this morning. No doubt. Just happened. There's definitely a need for healing and for some prayer time for some people. And we got to do it. So let's have everybody close their eyes and bow their heads. <clears throat> If you are in the position and the place 
where currently, up until this point in time, you have handled your sexuality your own way, on your own terms. And have never been repentful about it. You've just been doing it your own way, on your own terms. And you would like to not do that anymore. And you want to handle sexuality with a reverence and a holiness and respect of what he says. Just look up. Just look up. That's it. Just look up. Just look up at me. I'll see you. Just look up. Praise God. That's awesome. That's awesome. Awesome. And one other one. If you've had pain... You just got some like raw wounds and some pain in the area of sexuality in your life. There's just pain there. Undealt with, I should say. Undealt with. You might be still in the middle of just hammering it out with the Lord. But it's undealt with pain and you purposely put it off and to the side. Just look up. Just look up. Just look up if that's the case. Alrighty. <clears throat> Father, I just pray, Lord, for the people that looked up, Father. <clears throat> Father, the people looked up and they want to submit their sexuality to you, Lord. They want to guard their eyes, guard their minds, Lord. You've put certain things out of bounds at certain times in your wisdom. It's a remarkable day when we just consent and go with your wisdom on it instead of trying to figure out why you did it that way. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would strengthen and encourage the hearts that looked up, Lord, that want to submit their sexual lives to you, Lord. I pray they would find great fulfillment and for waiting things, waiting for things in the time and in the place that you say is good. I pray that they would have stories for their kids about how handing sexuality your way provides amazing fruit and total fulfillment and enjoyment. That it wouldn't be a guess of any kind. They would know firsthand because they've done it. So I pray for strength for them, Lord. Holy Spirit, empower them. And for those that looked up, Lord, just from pain of sexual things in their lives, God, we just pray that you come in and bring healing, bring forgiveness, or there needs to be forgiveness, Lord. And we just pray, Lord, that the thoughts and the feelings of shame in our lives would not rule the day, Father. I pray that we'd be a people intentional about getting truth in our hearts and in our minds. That we would be intentional about being in your truth, Lord to combat the lies that come our way, Father. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, that you protect our church, Lord, from a lot of just sexual things, Lord, that would seek to find our children, Lord, to seek to find our relationships, that would seek to find our marriages. We pray for protection, Lord. We just pray for your protection, Father. And that we would chase after what is good and right, Lord. So we thank you, Lord, just for our...
sobering but yet encouraging word this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Amen. So on that note, have a muffin. Ha <laughs> <laughs>